Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Omar Ruiz of the NFL Network as we'll get his insights on what in the world is going on with the Kansas City Chiefs and go around the National Football League with Omar when he joins us coming up in just a little bit from right now. Joining me as always is Thomas Bridges. We are fresh off a week off and I'm glad to be back in the saddle again. And Tom, what a weekend we just had. That was the best weekend of football from Thursday to Monday that we've had all season long. You start off with that pretty good game on Thursday night between the Chargers and the Raiders. Then you move forward to Saturday, and my, oh, my, was that fantastic to see LSU beat Alabama, Minnesota beats Penn State, Oklahoma had a close one against uh, Iowa State Sunday. Somehow the Chiefs lose to the Titans. We see a really good game between the Packers and the Panthers. And then the nightcap, the Vikings beat the Cowboys. And then on Monday, what a terrific game in overtime between the Seahawks and the 49ers where the Seahawks ultimately came away with that victory. Um, I mean, we were just very fortunate. If if you had nothing going on last weekend, like me actually, and just got to stay home and watch football, it was the weekend to do so. It was, and really capped off by LSU-Alabama. Uh, I forget how many weeks or how long it's been, but that's the most watched college football game in a long, long time. Uh, And it was well worth it. Um, LSU, you know, Coach O at the end, I think they even have made shirts by now. Um, But he, at the end of the game, if you haven't seen the Barstool Sports video that was released from the locker room, he goes, Roll Tide, what? F you. And it was glorious. And everybody in the locker room was lit. They've made shirts, and if I was an LSU I, LSU fan, I would have one. Uh, for them, you know, after what, eight years of not beating Alabama, you know that had to feel good. And beating them in Tuscaloosa for the first time, they've lost a home game in like 32 games. Uh, you know that had to feel good. Not to mention that you're talking about a team that was so hungry for this moment. That was <laughs> – really told that they couldn't do it. All week long, everybody was picking Alabama to win that game, said that, you know, Coach O's not the guy. There was a lot of retractors uh, when he got hired and said, you know, hey, this is a bad hire and such, and just continued to slowly improve. And then this week, this past week, was just the coronation of something great. Joe Burrow may have locked up the Heisman Trophy with the performance that he put together. This was a guy that got beat out at Ohio State by Dwayne Haskins, makes his way to LSU. Coach O wasn't LSU's even first choice to be their head coach, and he's the guy. It it felt like, Tom, a story of sorts of a bunch of misfits that came together and make it work, and now they're one of the leading teams in the country, and if everything goes according to plan, um, you know, the path is set for them now. They control their own destiny to a national championship. Um, It's quite the story, to say the least, what LSU has done to get to this point. Yeah, it's been really impressive. And a lot of people, even before this season, were saying, Coach O's not the guy, Coach O's not the guy. We need somebody different in here. I mean, last season, LSU was not impressive whatsoever. Um, And then this year, turn around, you got a guy like Joe Burrow who's not, you know, I mean, I wouldn't call him not flashy. 
uh, but he's not, you know, the flashy. He doesn't, he's not a Baker Mayfield. He's, you know, he doesn't, he's not loud off the field. He's not really loud on the field necessarily, uh, but he gets the job done. He's got a, you know, a pair of wide receivers that can probably the best tandem in the country. Uh, defense just plays ridiculous outright. I mean, uh, when's the last time a team went into Tuscaloosa and put up 46 uh, and came out of there and got the job done? Uh, it's been a while. Uh, so for what LSU's been able to do, what Coach O has been able to do, um, you know, is is pretty impressive. No doubt. No doubt about that. And for Alabama, I think they are they got their work cut out for them as far as making the playoff at this point goes. You, you think about it, Oregon, Utah, and Alabama, the teams behind them with one loss, only have opportunities to improve their resumes, to get more quality wins. Oklahoma's got a big game coming up against Baylor this weekend. We'll talk about that coming up here in a bit. Oregon and Utah each would have a potential Pac-12 championship game in a 13th data point. When you look at Alabama right now, it looks far in a way of any chance of them playing in the SEC title game right now. LSU would have to completely fall apart, essentially. And so that you're not going to get that 13th data point. You don't have the non-conference wins either. Their non-con schedule was just terrible. Their best win was Duke, and Duke's not anything by any means. So if Alabama is going to get into the playoff at this point, if things go according to plan, if they don't get the help from LSU or whatsoever, if they're not in that SEC title game, it is going to come down to what my friend Tim Brando likes to call playoff privilege, where it's going to be the brand name that gets them in there. Because if you look at their performance, even on Saturday, which would be the highlight of their season, essentially, their best case to say, well, we were just a couple points away from LSU. In actuality, Alabama trailed that entire game. It wasn't close. I mean, they made, you know, a run of it late of some sorts, but they never led that football game. LSU dominated from start to finish, and quite frankly, Alabama, I don't think you've done enough to make the playoff at this point in time. At, at this moment, I would give uh, a chance to a one-loss Pac-12 champ or Big 12 champion before I would put Alabama in the playoff right now, but that's just me. Right, and, and if, if things go the way that they probably would end up going, is that Alabama would take the four spot. LSU doesn't fall apart. They probably, I mean, they're going to remain the number one team. That would put LSU versus Alabama in the first round. That would be, one, unfair to LSU to give Alabama a shot that they already had. It's really, you know, it really feels like it's 20, 2011 uh, when LSU and Alabama played in the national championship. That's really what it felt like. Um, if this ends up being the case, if Alabama was to get that Tim Brando playoff privilege, uh, which to me I don't think they should. You had your chance. You had it at home. You had it at home, and you lost. Right. Uh, and you know what? You can say playoff privilege all you want, but it's high time that shit needs to stop because you have your chance. There's your, there's your play-in. There's your play-in. You win that game and you're in, essentially, because you're probably not going to drop another game. Right. Absolutely. And uh, you had your opportunity and you blew it. And if you want to factor in the the Vegas side of things, Tom, think about this. LSU won that game. Final was, what, 46-41? You you get three points just for being the home team. LSU was eight points better than Alabama. 
that's a that's more than a touchdown. I mean, to me, right there, Alabama does not have the resume to make the playoff at this point in time. Now, things can change. There's still a whole month left to play, but right now, I'm out on the Crimson Tide, and they're on the outside looking in, number five in the uh, latest college football playoff rankings. This weekend ahead, I'm real excited, Tom, about what we have in store, not only for just the slate of games, and we'll talk about those coming up later on in the show, both in the college world and in the National Football League, but just what I'm going to be doing in particular, and you'll be a part of this too uh, to some degree, going down to Stillwater for the Oklahoma State-KU game, and uh, it'll be Les Miles' return trip to, to uh, Stillwater. He's only been back there one time for a football camp with his two kids. Um, that was a couple of years ago. But other than that, this is his first game back in Stillwater since he left Oklahoma State. And on top of that, I will be taking the first flight out of Tulsa the very next day to make it to Homestead, Miami for the NASCAR championship race uh, to see the championship for Denny Hamlin is uh, one of the drivers, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Martin Jurex Jr. So that should be fun in its own right to see those things. But it is uh, going to be an exciting weekend ahead. I'm not going to sleep that much, uh, but we will definitely have a good time, Tom. I think so. And last time you came to Stillwater was a heck of a time. Every time I feel like you've come to Stillwater, it's been a great time. Um, and this weekend, I don't think it's going to be any different. I, you know, the weather this weekend, you're going to get to go fly to better weather. Uh, I'm assuming, you know, it could rain, knock on wood for you in, in Homestead, Florida, but um, it's going to be pretty decent weather, 11 a.m. kick. I uh, wouldn't have guessed it any different. Um, but then just a great weekend just for Oklahoma football. You got OSU rocking some new jerseys, Les Miles back in town. Uh, great storyline there. And then later on, and, and maybe we'll be home by this time. It depends on what shenanigans Stillwater has for us after the fact. But um, OU Baylor. Uh, 6.30, ABC, it's going to be, I mean, that is uh, uh, the Big 12's mini LSU-Alabama game of last week, and at the beginning of the season, I would you would have never caught me saying that. Um, so, you know, battle of, could be a rematch of the Big 12 championship, um, could be Baylor- Comes to primetime, Matt Rule wins Big 12 Coach of the Year, if he hasn't already, and takes Baylor to the playoff. Uh, <laughs> not, not getting ahead of myself, but uh, it's going to be a fun weekend in general. Uh, the weather's going to be nice, at least here in Oklahoma for now. Um, and, and Jones, me, you, and Bill will be reunited once again in the great city of Stillwater, Oklahoma. We always have a good time. This is like our second convention of the year. We had a great time in Tulsa uh, back in September, and we'll get together again. So, Tom, when I go to Miami, a little backstory. Uh, this will be my fifth NASCAR race of the year, which is by far the most races I've ever been to in one season. And for some reason, Denny Hamlin keeps winning these races that I've been going to this year. He's won like three of the four. And so – I got to interview him in Victory Lane at uh, at Kansas Speedway when he won a couple weeks ago, and uh, I, you know, approached him. Like I noticed that hey, this is a trend. This is very unusual how much I'm I'm seeing you winning. And I was debating going to Homestead at this point, so I asked Denny Hamlin a, a very important question. Now, Denny, I've been to four races this year, and you've won three of the races I've been at. So, would you like me to go Homestead with you? Yes, please. Well, he said please, and so. He won at Phoenix last week, clinched a spot in the championship four. So now I'm going. So, Tom, with that being said, 
I mean, he did say please. He won last week. He's one of these races we've been at. I mean, it's pretty much a given that Denny Hamlin's going to win the championship this weekend. I think it's pretty given. I wonder if he's going to remember you. I hope he does. I mean, that would be something he special. paid for my dinner after the Daytona 500 at a Steak and Shake. And we had a fun interview in Victory Lane at Kansas Speedway. I would almost, almost be surprised if he didn't remember me at this point. I would almost be surprised. That, if you interview him in Victory Lane... Uh, you know, given the chance, I know how you weasel your way into things. I wouldn't doubt that you would be front and center uh, for that. Um, if he gives you a shout-out, if he goes, hey, this guy is the guy that's been at all the races that I've won, and gives you a shout-out, that will be just a special moment. <laughs> Especially I mean, if you get to party with him after. If he wins it, I think that I should get a championship ring. At this point, you might. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> They give they give rings at least the Spurs do to my knowledge to the 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 arena or the stadium employees at the AT and T Center uh, because I have met a lady who had all five of them um, when I went to San Antonio wow. last time. Yeah, and I thought, how long have you been here? And she was like, I started in '97, and I thought, what? And she was just in like an usher or a person who went and got your drinks. Um, because I had noticed them on her hand. So maybe you should. I mean, you've been to enough races this year. I, I think it's time for you to get a FedEx hat uh, and maybe free FedEx shipping for life. Maybe some, like, Air Jordan gear. I know that you find that so funny that Denny's endorsed by Air Jordan and wears his stuff. Um, <laughs> that uh, what's, what's weirder? Is it that he wears Air Jordan or that OU and Michigan do for football uniforms? You know, I think it's got to be NASCAR. I get it. The heart of racing is in Charlotte. Michael Jordan owns a team in Charlotte. Uh, you know, the whole North Carolina ties. I get that. Still weird. He's the only one that uh, that does, by the way. Uh, it's only Denny that gets that Air Jordan deal. But uh, best of luck to Denny and all the championship four. It uh, should be a good weekend, and it should be some nice weather there in uh, Homestead, Miami. But anyways, uh, let's talk Big 12 football now. Big game this week between Oklahoma and Baylor. We'll pick that game later, but the Sooners survived last week against Iowa State. You can make a case that it should have been pass interference on that two-point conversion play, and Iowa State walks away with that victory 43-42 to and end OU's playoff hopes. Instead, the Sooners are still alive. Baylor also survived in Fort Worth with a 29-23 win in triple overtime. Yes, you heard that right, triple overtime. It was tied at nine at the end of regulation. Tom, I, I don't know how good these teams really are, OU and Baylor, um, the way that they have you know survived throughout the season, but we are going to see two contrasting styles. An OU team that is very good offensively, led by Jalen Hurts, in a, in a Baylor team that's the best defense in the conference, and actually is for real as a defense. Like, they're actually one of the better defenses in the entire nation. They're at home. I think, and I know that you and a lot of people have doubted Baylor all season long, but I think Baylor is going to give OU a run for their money. It would not shock me one bit if Baylor comes out with the victory on Saturday. No, oh, it's not going to shock me one bit, and we'll pick games later. Uh, but if you looked at the slate, it's kind of shocking, you know, given OU's past game. And it's not a knock on you. It's just what it is. I, you know, I think if Baylor would have won more convincingly against TCU than 
that line would have been maybe a little bit lower. But, uh, I mean, Baylor can be beat as well. They almost got beat against – they snuck out against West Virginia on that past Thursday night football game. They sneak out against TCU. Maybe not sneak out, um, but still TCU gave them a good run for their money. That is kind of a rivalry game in a sense as much as, you know, Baylor can have a rivalry and, and TCU can have a rivalry. Uh, that, I would say, if you could pick one team for Baylor fans that they said they would want to beat every season, it would be TCU. And for TCU, one team they would want to beat every season would be would be Baylor. Uh, so it is, you know, it's not Bedlam. It's not the Red River rivalry. It's not the Red River shootout. Um, it's it's not any of the other rivalries. It's not, you know, as big as all Alabama, Auburn, or even Florida, LSU. You know, it's not. That's not it. Um, but it is still a rivalry. Baylor hasn't been playing as good. While they still have found ways to win, and that is what matters, uh, especially in the Big 12 when you can't have shootouts, even though that game was a 9-9 game. Um, it's going to be a hell of a game to watch uh, because, like you said, they, they are two contrasting different styles. you got Jalen Hurts who cuts up field like no other player that I've seen. Um, and then you have Baylor defense who is very stout, very good, uh, and with a quarterback like Charlie Brewer who can be at sometimes really great, um, most times a game manager. Uh, you also have a couple slot receivers for Baylor that are excellent, that can get open in the middle of the field and make you pay, as well as a running back who's also pretty damn good. Uh, if OU's defense plays the way it did in the fourth quarter against Iowa State, they even sniff that. I think Baylor, I would give Baylor a good shot to win this game. Yeah, and you think about it, Tom, whether you like Baylor or not, you know, their they're questionable past, of course. This feels like a, a huge moment for this Baylor program um, to get to this point, you know, full circle of some sorts, after all they went through with the Art Briles situation and everything and and just the just the bad stuff that went on there. You know, they end up with a 1 and 11 season just what was it 2 or 3 years ago. And now here they are back in this position, 9 and 0. College Game Day is going to be there. It's the Saturday night primetime game and everything with it. To me, Tom, um I think it's a good story of reemergence for this Baylor program because although they weren't punished by the NCAA, what you can account for is that Matt Rule did change the culture there, that he did not accept what was going on with this Baylor program, that, um, you know, he was offered two jobs. One was Oregon, one was Baylor, and Baylor was certainly the better job of the two, it would appear, at the time. But he said that he felt a calling of some sorts to really go to Baylor and help people, to get them through a tough time. And so he felt like he did what he was you know, led to do spiritually of some sorts to go to Baylor. And he's been offered NFL jobs, multiple NFL jobs, and he's turned those down because he's made a commitment to Baylor in turning around this football program and rebuilding that culture and, you know, having good people again at Baylor and doing things the right way. Um, I know that you can't rewrite the wrongs of what happened at Baylor, and there were some horrible things that happened there, and a lot of people were hurt. But to me, this is still rewarding for – 
this Baylor program. And at the end of the day, I think this is a positive outcome for Baylor to be in this position of where they are under Matt Rule after uh, what's gone on the last several years. Oh, yeah, he's been the guy that led him led him out of the darkness. And, I mean, hell, if it wasn't Matt Rule, it could have been a lot more dark than it is now. Uh, I mean, you've seen teams go through those allegations and then those findings and those court case hearings and all that happened. I mean, that, yes, it happened at Baylor. It also happens at other universities. Um, you know, not downplaying what happened at Baylor at all, but it does help in, happen elsewhere. And, you know, the preceding years after that are fairly dark for those universities. They don't just get to pop up and, and rise re back to reemergence, not because allegate or not because NCAA punishments, just because it hurts recruiting, it hurts the national, you know, it hurts their brand. And so, what from for what Matt Rule has been able to do to get them from two years ago going one and eleven and losing to Liberty, to now, you know, primetime college game day against OU to you know, not not knock not knock off OU, but to, to knock out essentially OU's playoff chances and, and maybe not even that the storyline for Baylor Hell, they go undefeated and, and were to win the Big Twelve, who's to say that they wouldn't be in the playoff? Right. If Baylor goes undefeated, they will be in the playoff. They might have to beat OU twice to do it, but uh they'll be in there as far as that goes. Um I, I think it's a it's a great story and this is great for the Big Twelve. If you're an OU fan right now, Baylor is your best friend. You need Baylor to uh, to win the games they're not playing OU, to lose two games, but both of those to be to OU at that point and to play really well in those other games. Uh, Baylor's your best friend right now. Um, but the other thing with OU, Tom, in this case, I think that you know Jalen Hurts isn't completely out of the Heisman race yet. I would bet at this point he still gets an invite to New York. But, I mean, he's going to have to have a Heisman moment in – this game, or maybe two, and Joe Burrow is going to have to slip of some sorts. Um, he did have some help with Chase Young getting that suspension, which just an awful thing. Just really crappy what Chase Young's having to put up with, by the way, but he's out of the Heisman race. Realistically, for, for him to win the Heisman, um, he's going to need Joe Burrow to have some problems of some sorts and really going to need to capitalize on these games down the stretch the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I, I would you know go as far to say that he will still be invited to New York, but like you said, it's Joe Burrow's to lose. Joe Burrow, if LSU wins out, he's not losing the Heisman. Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, the the odds were that the odds on Joe Burrow were even, you know, pays even money, or I think it was even half money, uh, because they're dead on. Uh, I mean, Jalen Hurts has been great this season. He's not as been as good as Kyler Murray. Or Baker Mayfield, but that's tough to do. Uh, you come into a new program uh, out of Alabama, completely different, you know, play styles, and have to play in a Lincoln Riley offense that you're not used to. Um, what he's done in his one year as a transfer has been great. I don't think he is going to be one of the Heisman, no matter if he beats Baylor and then goes on and beats. I'm not sure who Oklahoma State or who OU has after that, uh, and then beats Oklahoma State and then wins the Big 12. Still, don't think unless, like you said, Joe Burrow was to lose out or LSU was completely collapse. Right. Um, next for OU is a TCU, and then Oklahoma State, and then the Big 12 championship game if they were to get there. Um, looking at the other games this week, uh, K State. 
they fell to Texas last week. Texas got healthy. I think that the Longhorns have turned a corner here. We'll see what they do against Iowa State. But K-State against West Virginia, um, I know that the Cats would have liked to have been in the Big 12 championship game, and it's really going to be tough for them to get in there now. But still a great story for Chris, Chris Kleiman to uh, do what they've done, You know, to be at where they're at this point in the season, 6-3 and three now, and uh, going down the stretch. You got West Virginia this week, Texas Tech the week after that, then Iowa State after that. Um, I mean, K-State could finish the regular season with eight or nine wins, and that would be a very successful campaign. I don't think they have anything to hang their hats on about what happened last week in in, uh, in Austin. No, not at all. And it was a pretty, you know, well-fought game. It's not like they got blown out. Um, you know, I, I think you, you know, I don't think anybody thought that K-State was going to come out and do what they did this season. I don't think anybody thought that at the beginning of the season this team was going to, you know, give OU a run for the money, end up coming away with a win. Should have been by more, arguably. Um, but for what Chris Kleiman's done essentially in his first season at K-State after the great Bill Snyder, uh, I mean, you can't hang your hat on anything. I mean, there's, they're going to a bowl. They're going to probably most likely be favored in that bowl. Still have a chance to win eight or nine games. Uh, realistically, and uh, come away with a – I mean, you come away with a nine-win season in the Big 12 when there's teams like OU, Texas, and Oklahoma State uh, who have been consistently top tier. Uh, yeah, you don't hang your hat on that. No, not at all. Uh, reason to be uh, optimistic for that K-State bunch and what Kleiman's doing there. Texas gets the win against K-State last week. Now they'll take on Iowa State. Iowa State played a heck of a second half against OU last week. Tom – I think this is a toss-up game. Could really go either way. Neither team is going to be in the Big 12 title game, but certainly uh, can direct the course of how their season's going to go, how it's going to finish out at this point here. Um, I really don't know who's going to win this game. I think that this could play out a number of different ways between these two teams. Iowa State's probably got the better offense. Texas has the better defense between these two. Yeah, it is going to. It is really a toss-up game, and you know, Texas isn't completely out of it, I don't believe. Um, they obviously have matchups with – obviously have to beat Iowa State. I mean, Texas has to win out and could still, you know, face what would probably end up being OU in the Big 12 championship if it were to fall that way. They would have to beat Iowa State, then go to, I believe, Waco next week. Um, not sure. I think – I forget who they finished the season off with. Um, but – they're not completely out of it. They must win out. Iowa State's pretty much all but out of it, obviously, at this point. Um, Texas has more to lose. They're playing in Ames. It is a toss-up yes. game. Yes, they are playing in Ames. Um, TCU takes on Texas Tech. Uh, Texas Tech's been so up and down this year, their first year under Matt Rule. TCU has had their moments here and there. Um, I think TCU will win this game, but I'm not expecting it to be pretty by any means. No, it could be a lot like the Baylor game last week. It, I mean, maybe not as few points. Uh, but, I mean, TCU's been kind of one of those teams up and down as well. They've had their shining moments. Uh, and then they've also had moments where it's been like, ooh, okay, Gary Patterson. Uh, you know, what's going on? So I don't expect TCU to lose this game either. But I bet it – I mean, it's going to be one of those one of those games where it's like, well, let's turn the channel. I think Max Dugan has greatly improved throughout the season. 
Um, at the beginning of the year, he did not look like that great of a quarterback. Now he's turned into a pretty decent starter. I'm intrigued to see what he can do uh, in year two as a sophomore next year in uh, Fort Worth. Kansas and Oklahoma State, the game will be at, Tom. I think everybody believes that Oklahoma State's going to win this game. Uh, you'd have to find some crazy diehard fan to pick Kansas to win this one. But with that being said, I really have no idea what kind of game we're going to see. What Kansas team is going to show up? Is it going to be the team that only put up 10 points on K-State and had what uh, a source told me was a very bad loss for the program, for the state of the program? Or is it going to be kind of what we saw the last time they had a, an off week uh, and almost beat Texas on the road here? I think they're going to have problems stopping the running game with Chupa Hubbard and company. They've had issues all year long with their run defense. That's going to be a problem. Uh, but the KU offense, uh, we'll see. I, I think they'll play imp better. They'll improve off of that ugly performance against KU. Having the off week and such, uh, that should help. But um, I fully anticipate Oklahoma State to win this game and, and, and more than likely probably by double figures. Although less is homecoming and everything, too. There's certainly some intriguing things about this game uh, that go along with it. This is not your typical OSU-KU matchup. No, it's not. And with the addition of Les Miles, you know, you really can never tell uh, with Les Miles what kind of, I don't know, re revenge? I don't know if you would call it that. Or maybe, you know, just beating your former team always feels good for the second <laughs> I hope it is a blowout just because I know that the day that Kansas beats Oklahoma State, we will, me and Billy will never hear the end of it. Uh if Kansas does beat Oklahoma State this Saturday, you might have to find a different ride home because I'm not sure Billy will take you back to Broken Arrow. <laughs> no, he will because he'll feel sorry for me. Um. Yeah. Well, no, it depends. I mean, if Kansas beats Oklahoma State, then oh. well, Billy will not be in a very good mood. No, yeah, no. I might be the one taking you back because I don't think I would be as butthurt as Billy would be. Oh my gosh! Uh, I don't, I don't anticipate that happening. I also didn't anticipate KU coming that close to Texas. Right. Uh, so, and the way I will say, the way that Oklahoma State the last two years have played teams that they should have beat, mainly Tech. Uh, <laughs> when when we think about this season, mainly Tech uh, had a you know, fell apart against Baylor and then Texas coulda, shoulda, woulda on plays, on play calling. Um, you know, with the way the OSU is known to play against teams they should beat, I'm not ruling out anything. And I will be, you know, not in orange, obviously, this week, but I will have some orange ready to go as soon as the game's over. <laughs> um, and I will hopefully be capturing on my sister's Nikon power shot, OSU doing what they should do. But, like I said, we know how OSU's played against teams they should beat. It is Les Miles. Spooky Les Miles could be coming to town. Uh, one thing, Jones, I am excited about, I'm excited for these Veterans Day jerseys. Uh, you know, I'm not the fashionista that maybe some other people are on jerseys. But I like these OSU alternates. Uh this is maybe some of the sharpest uniforms I think they're going to be able to roll out so far. It's got to be a lot better than those awful jerseys that KU rolled out last week against K State. Uh, that was that was awful. Uh, I mean, they were they, they were lost bad. before the game even started. 
on Saturday in that game against K-State. It was just brutal what they uh, threw out there. But uh, we'll see what Brent Deerman can dial up against this this uh, OSU team. I mean, Chuba just might run for 300 yards. Um, he's the best back in the country, no question about it. Any NFL team would be silly not to pick him up next year in the NFL draft. He is going to be a star in the National Football League, and I think he's going to have quite the day. We'll see how it all plays out. Uh, moving on to the National Football League. What in the world happened to the Kansas City Chiefs? I can't believe it. They lost the Titans? The Titans? 35-32 in a game they had no business losing at all. They had to lead the entire game. They, they didn't give this one up. They had the lead with 90 seconds to go. They were going for a field goal attempt to make it an eight-point game and let that one slide, let that one off the hook. And then Tennessee gets down the field in four plays. They made Ryan Tannehill look like Tom Brady. I can't believe it. I, I'm still shocked about this. And I know the special team struggled. I know the defense struggled. But that came down to Andy Reid. Patrick wasn't 100%. That's clear. He doesn't have the mobility that he's used to, but he still played very well. And uh, I like what I saw from Patrick. I'm still very nervous about the offensive line. The situation got even worse um, as Mitchell Schwartz was out for a couple of plays. They were down to five offensive linemen. Uh, they were going to have to use defensive players or tight ends of some sorts. Uh, Blake Bell might have had to play tackle if they were going to be down another guy, a former quarterback at OU. That's how bad it got for the Chiefs on that offensive line. So with that being said, I don't think we learned anything new from the Chiefs. These were problems that they had before. I think we just learned a new way for them to lose, essentially, is what happened on Sunday, Tom. Yeah, that was that was something. Um, I was shocked when, I, you know, I didn't even watch the game, to be honest with you. I was coming back from uh, Oklahoma City, um, but kind of followed it, and I, I saw the score, and I thought, well, okay, the Chiefs are going to win, you know. You know, you know, I wasn't thinking, oh, the Chiefs are going to, you know, this could be an upset. And then I saw the final score. I, my dad is a Chiefs fan, and, and he, I don't know what, I think he was out working on the deer stand, welcome to Oklahoma. Um, and he had come back, and he said, to the, you know, what time the Chiefs play today? And you know, he's a fan, but not a die, you know, not ridiculous diehard. But he said, what time the Chiefs fan, or what time the Chiefs play today? And I said, well, they lost the Titans, and his mouth just dropped open. He said, no, they didn't. And it was about that time the ticker came across, said 35-32, and he said, you've got to be joking. Uh, Harold Kuntz, our friend Harold Kuntz, also could not believe it. I saw his Twitter. Uh, it said, I think I woke up from a dream, and then I realized Kansas City had lost to the Titans. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, about, oh, he was at that game. Yeah, he's um, from Nashville, and he's watched so many Titans games over his life, he couldn't believe that the Titans uh, beat the Chiefs. And he's not a Titans fan either. He's an, he's an Eagles fan. And, uh, I mean, I was right there with him. I mean, it was so embarrassing. And then, to make matters worse, we find out on Monday that Emmanuel Ogba, who leads the Chiefs in sacks, who was a great pickup, they traded for him, uh, from the Browns and got next to – they had to give up next to nothing for him. And he started out training camp as a third stringer, worked his way into the starting rotation after Alex Okafor went down, led the Chiefs in sacks with five and a half sacks. I was the loudest voice 
in the Kansas City media that said, this guy is a great fit. He's going to be perfect for this Chiefs system. He's what they need. This is a great deal. People ignored me, and I said, watch out, watch out, watch out. And sure enough, he was incredible. Well, then he gets injured, and he's out for the year now. And he's an unrestricted free agent. So he may have played his last game in Kansas City. So now you got a banged-up offensive line. you got a quarterback that's not 100%. Your top sack man is done for the year as well. Kansas City is only a game in front of the Raiders in the AFC West now. Things are tough for Kansas City now. The Chiefs, uh, their problems are very real now. I mean, the, the time for lollygagging around is over. It's put up or shut up, essentially, going forward for the Chiefs. Yeah, it is. And, and if you just look back, every single game after they beat Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, they have not been so hot. Sure, they, you know, gave the Packers a run for their money. Sure, they've come out in games. You know, Matt Moore looked good and, you know, thought, okay, we get – Patrick Mahomes back will be all right. Things have not been okay. I feel like we talk about this every week. Well, well, okay, they're still in the AFC West. They can still win the division. I don't know how long, much more longer we can say that. Uh, I mean, the Raiders with Josh Jacobs have not looked terrible, uh, and you just can't keep letting games slip by. You don't lose to the Titans. That's a game you win. That's a that's a, a, a W you put on the schedule and say, okay, let's not overlook them, but this should be a win. And the way they had played up until the last part of it should have been a win. And now you're stuck in a position saying, hey, if the Raiders somehow pass us what it's looking like in AFC, we might not get a wild card spot. Yeah. Uh, and the way they've been playing and with all the injuries right now, and I, you know, I hate to see the injury bug happen to any right now, might not be a team. But when it does happen to your team, you have to find a way, ways around it. Uh, this, you know, they are still in first place. They can still obviously win this division. You're in the division with the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Broncos. You can win this. It's not the Rams trying to find a way back against Seattle and the 49ers who have lost a combined three games. This is a winnable division, but if you mess around and somehow slip up and don't end up winning this division, you're not getting in the playoffs. Right. And you look at their schedule the rest of the way. Fortunately, they play a pretty decent schedule. The final six games, you have the Chargers on Monday night in Mexico City, then the Raiders, the Patriots is going to be a tough one in New England, but then the Broncos at home, at the Bears, and then finish with the Chargers at home. The Chiefs very well, this could be just a tough you know, wave of some sorts. They could win out, win six straight, and then we're talking about this team at 12-4, and four, maybe a first-round bye, and all those problems we talked about, you know, look a lot better. They could slip up once, and then they're 11-5. and five. Maybe they're the three seed. Maybe they still have a first-round bye here. So with all this being said, Tom, as inconsistent these last couple weeks have been, nightmarish of some sorts, especially considering the expectations that were for this team, I mean, there could be a calm to this storm. The Chiefs could finish out the regular season on a high note, very likely that they could, and have momentum heading into the postseason here. I mean, they can get out of this situation um, with a lot better deal than uh, than most of us think. Based on the way that they are at right now, um, this ship can be recovered to some extent. Yeah, oh, of course they can. I mean, the, the rest of their schedule, like you said, is favorable. Um, but 
you can't slip up against you can't slip you can't do that again. You can't do what you did against the Titans again uh, because yeah, their schedule is favorable, but at the end of the day, you you got to capitalize where it matters uh, because you know you do want the first round buyer, you do want home field advantage. Well, maybe I mean arguably the Chiefs have been better on the road uh, this season than an Arrowhead. Well, and historically um, so speaking, they haven't been good at home. Uh, they had a home field advantage last year and blew it. Before that, they hadn't won a home playoff game in 20 years. Maybe it's not the worst thing in the world if you do end up having to uh, you know, travel on the road a bit because certainly home field has not been to their advantage. Yeah, maybe that's what – maybe Andy Reid's being sneaky about it. Maybe he wants the eighth seed. Maybe. Maybe maybe, he's maybe that's what we're maybe that's what we're missing. Yeah, maybe so. Let's uh, continue around the NFL. The Ravens got a big win over over the Bengals. I know the Bengals are the worst team in the league right now with no wins, but the way Lamar played and the performance they put together, winning forty nine to thirteen, we saw what they did against the Patriots the week before. Lamar goes 15 of 17, 223 yards, three touchdowns, 65 yards on the ground, and one touchdown on the ground as well. Tom, are the Ravens the best team in the AFC? Whew. You know, they did beat the Patriots, so logistically. Uh, and pretty you know, handily, speaking, too. I mean, their only losses are to the Chiefs and to the Browns. Uh, so you can say what you want about those two losses, considering what the Chiefs has done recently, and just looking at the the mess that the Cleveland Browns are. But it doesn't matter who you lose to, as long as you only lose two uh, and win the other seven. I mean, for for what it's worth, they could have lost to the Dolphins, and and you know they could have lost to the Dolphins and the Bengals, uh, and still been seven and two, and still looked as good as they did this past week, even though it was against the Bengals. Uh, Lamar Jackson is looking like the MVP. He's up there. Uh, Russell Wilson certainly made a case. Uh, we'll talk, touch on him in just a second. But uh, how about that Falcons Saints game? Uh, Dan Quinn lives to see another week uh, with that big time win over the Saints. If you're a Falcons fan, you almost got to be frustrated that Dan Quinn's going to stay around another week or so. But uh, the Saints, uh, what happened? Only scored nine points. Uh, they they played so good with uh, Teddy Bridgewater as their quarterback, and then Drew Brees comes back and plays well. And then last week they just laid an egg. I have a feeling, Tom, this was just a one-off. I'm not really concerned about the Saints. Right, it is Saints-Falcons. That's kind of a rivalry interdivision. division. Uh, you know, you obviously you want to win every division game, but no matter how good you are, you know, you're going to slip and fall somewhere down the way unless you're playing in the Patriots division, then probably not. Um, but, I mean, just looking at that game, it's just like, well, you know, I do think it's a one-off too. I mean, you can't win them all. It is a division rivalry game. I believe it was in Atlanta. Um, so, you know, the Falcons do have the talent. I don't care what anybody says. You have Matt Ryan. You have Julio Jones. I think Devontae Freeman played, but I believe he got injured. Calvin Ridley. Uh, you, have the ta- you, you have the talent on that team to do things. Uh, it's obviously that, you know, they're poorly coached or Dan Quinn has took a turn for the worst after their Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, and that seems to be the case with a lot of teams, including mine. Um, so, you know, it does seem that they're poorly coached. You can see that Julio Jones is frustrated, and, as a Falcons fan, I would almost be frustrated, too. It's like, well, the season's a loss. Sure, we can beat the Saints, but, uh, I mean, at this point, you just hope for better draft stock. 
And uh, the fact they won in New Orleans, too. Who saw that coming? They never oh. win in New Orleans uh, in that rivalry. Drew Brees uh, in the Saints have dominated the home games with uh, Atlanta there. Uh, the Dolphins, back-to-back wins. That's not how tanking for Tua works, Miami. You're doing it wrong. You can't even tank right. You win back-to-back weeks. Uh, over the Colts, 16-12 to was the final there. Uh, we saw that... Uh, Brian Hoyer played, and uh, Jacoby Brissett was out for the second straight game. I don't know what his status is going forward, but they lose the game that he gets injured in against the Steelers. They lose this game against the Dolphins. And, you know, there wasn't much drop-off from the beginning of this season compared to last year of when Brissett took over compared to Andrew Luck. But now, since Brian Hoyer's taken over, there's been a significant drop-off. Um you know, the the Colts still very well might make the postseason, but the guy that, that might be smiling secretly right now is Jacoby Brissett because with each of these performances the last couple of weeks, he's looking even better and better and probably making himself some more money with the way he, his team has underperformed in his absence. Oh, you know he is. Uh, did, is it season ending or how long is he out? That I'm not sure about. Right. You know, I'm not sure about that either. It's almost kind of a uh... – a lower, you know, talked about injury or occurrence. I, you know, I heard that Hoyer was starting, and just the way that he's looked, kind of is in a in a way, Jones. I think how the Colts have looked the past two weeks is kind of how we expected him to look all season, and that's just a testament to Jacoby Brissett on how good of a quarterback he really was or is for the Indianapolis Colts. Right, and to think that at one point Belichick had Brady, Garoppolo, and Brissett. All three is uh, just mind-blowing. But uh, I bet that Jacoby's made some money based on how things have gone the last couple of weeks. The Browns get a win against the Bills. The Bills have played very well this year, but the Browns win their second straight uh, 19-16. to Baker had a very good game. Um, the performance Baker put together, he was uh, 26 of 38, 238 yards and two touchdowns. Nick Chubb had 116 yards on the ground. Kareem Hunt made his season debut. He got nine touches. He looked good in the limited time he saw. Tom, if Baker and the Browns turned a corner, I think that's huge for them to get Kareem Hunt. He'll be more involved in this offense. Kareem is a Pro Bowl running back, and he's fresh. He hasn't played football in a year, and he looked very good. Um, Baker has played a la- very good the last couple of weeks. Are you uh, are you buying the uh, second half of the season for uh, for Cleveland? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I mean, the Bills can play. You know, the Bills can have a good season so far, but I don't care who you are. It's still the Bills. Um, the Browns, I think, are an absolute mess uh, as far as the organization goes. I heard someone call. The Browns, not even a team, just more so individuals in a franchise. And I've never heard a better way to put that. It's not because I don't really care for Baker. That's not what it is. Because I do like his, you know, competitive nature. I feel that a lot. We feel the same. He's playing NFL games, but I feel the same way about a beer pong or a cornhole game, the same way that he he feels about his on-field performance. Um, So I do respect that about him. But. As far as the Browns go, I still think Freddie Kitchens is done at the end of the year. Uh, I think Baker has one more go around to make this right. Maybe they turn it around. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, though. I mean, you have the Ravens in the – I mean, I think that's kind of a, a an obvious or a given at this point because you have the Ravens playing obviously well. They seem to be winning the division. And then you have the Steelers, 
Um, I, I think the Steelers still play the Browns twice. Mason Rudolph. Including uh, Thursday show. night. Thursday night, it's the uh, first ever uh, Bedlam NFL game between Mason Rudolph and uh, Baker Mayfield. That should be fun. Uh, the TV ratings in Oklahoma are going to be pretty good on Thursday night. I think so. You got Mason and James Washington, and then you have Baker and Austin Seibert. And is there another OU player on that Browns team? No, that's the only Sooners. Okay, so two versus two. Um, and you got Mason Rudolph, James Washington. I, I'm sure at this point. Uh, just looking on, there's another receiver in the division that I'm sure Baker would love to have on his team right now, and his name is Hollywood Brown. And uh, that tight end over there, too, uh, is uh, a former Sooner as well, uh, Mr. Mark Andrews, and he's had a very good rookie right. year. So Lamar Jackson has benefited from uh, having both those two guys. But you mentioned the Steelers. The Steelers have played really good as of late. By the way, Tom, <laughs> How'd you like them apples uh, with that Steeler victory, a 17-12? Uh, the Steel Curtain defense is back and better than it's been in quite some time. Mika Fitzpatrick, that was the best trade this entire season of what Pittsburgh did. They didn't even have to give up really that much for how talented he is and still has, what, three years left on his contract? Beautiful deal to bring him in, and he's been unbelievable. Um, the other players on this Steeler defense, you know, T.J. Watt is unbelievable. Uh, Dupree is uh, is very good. And, you know Cam Hayward. Um, you know Cam Sutton. Some of these other guys. Um, you know, I mean, th this is just a uh, a really good group that the Steelers defense has put together. Um, you know, the, and, and Devin Bush as well. Almost forgot him. The Steelers have Who been. Was it uh, Joe Hayden? Joe Hayden. Yes. The Steelers defense has been so bad the last couple of years. And now, Tom, it's – you talk about timing. The Steelers, you know, their offense has been so good, one of the best in the league the last couple of years. And this year it dropped down a bit by losing Big Ben, A.B., and Le'Veon Bell. And I know that the Steelers' offense is good now, but, I mean, they're not as good as what they were. But what a time for them to see them uh, – that the defense could start to take off when the offense was on the decline – um, very good timing for the Steelers. And also, credit to Mike Tomlin, and this is hard for me to say because I'm not a Mike Tomlin <laughs> fan, for not giving up on this team. Because they very well easily could have thrown in the towel on this season and said, you know what, this isn't going anywhere. Big Ben's done. you got to back up in Mason Rudolph. But you know what? Mason has stepped up to the challenge. The defense has played very well. They're above 500, and right now they're a real threat to make the postseason. A a very good coaching job by Mike Tomlin, as much as that pains me to say. Oh, man. You can argue that the defense stepping up in the offense's absence saved Mike Tomlin his job. Yes. yeah, I don't think you can argue that. I think that's just a fact. Because without that defense, they're not 5-4. and four. They're not second behind the Ravens. And they're not like – it's not like they're – I mean, they're not going to – they're not going to win the division, but that would be Mike Tomlin would deserve coach of the year. If they were to win the division with Mason Rudolph uh, and making one trade for Fitzpatrick to change the whole identity of that defense overnight. Uh, maybe not completely because they did have, you know, we've already mentioned the defense contributors that we have uh, not including Fitzpatrick, but um, I mean, essentially, yes, it was probably Mike Tomlin's, you know, idea maybe or at least part of it to trade him for that. But uh, you only give up one first-round pick. 
Uh, you beat the Rams, who just give up two first-round picks and a fourth-round pick or whatever it was for Jalen Ramsey. Uh, your defense, you know, kind of outshines theirs. You got a, you know, Mason Rudolph, a quarterback who outplayed Goff. It just was in the Super Bowl. I mean, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, all things considered, you're feeling pretty damn good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you are. And uh, I think Mason has proven enough to be your quarterback of the future based on what I've seen in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I would go ahead and trade off Big Ben in the offseason, get what you can for him, free up that cap space, and go get some dudes. Go spend some money now that you have stuff freed up. Um, I think that you have a future there. There's reason to be optimistic in Pittsburgh going forward for their future. The Rams at 5-4, and four, Tom, uh, this has been a roller coaster of a season. You've seen it firsthand. Um, and then that tough division, that awesome game on Monday night between Seattle and San Francisco. One of those teams is going to be overqualified for a wild card spot, but the way this NFL's playoff system is set up, it's just going to have to be that way. Are, are the Rams going to miss the postseason right now? Uh, at this point, with the schedule that they have left, you have the 49ers again. You have the Seahawks again. Uh, I believe you get the Cardinals twice. That's a blessing. Um, you play the Bears this week, who have a tough defense. Granted that it is at home, and Trubisky's look like trash. It is against a good defense, though. Uh, arguably, you know, pretty close to what the Steelers are. Um, and you also play... The Baltimore Ravens. So, at this point, you know, I wouldn't call the season a complete loss. You do make the Super Bowl last year. You can't capitalize on it. Sean McVay does seem to have lost a little bit of his magic. I think all this team really needs, and this is what we're going to end up getting in the offseason, where, you know, they're not afraid. The Granted, I will say the one thing about the Rams, I think they missed the playoffs, but the one thing Les Need and Sean McVay are not afraid to do is to make moves where they see fit. I think they're the best in the NFL at it. Uh, maybe a little bias there, but they are not afraid to make moves where they see fit and try to make the team better, not just sit back and, and you know, count the what-ifs or what could-have-beens. They do make moves, and I think they will go out. They should have got Trent Williams, hindsight's twenty twenty. They were asking a little too much, granted, the, you know, the circumstances. But the Rams need an offensive line in the worst way. Uh, Goff is not a great quarterback. He's a good quarterback, and with time can be great. You have a great receivings corps, and Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and Brandon Cooks. Cooks is obviously hurt right now with concussion, may not be the same, may not come back. Um, Todd Gurley, not the same player either. You do have Malcolm Brown. There are ways to make that work. Uh, you pay off all this money. Now you got to go find out, and it, it's going to be in the off. It's going to have to be in the off season. You're going to have to go out and get some linemen. Uh, Andrew Whitworth, the, the cornerstone of that offensive line, is going to retire at the end of this year. Uh, one of the only, I forget how many players, under 20. One of the only under 20 players in the league to be all 32 teams. You're going to miss that experience. You've given up two of your first round picks for the next two years for a corner. Uh, granted, that's a good move. I thought that was solid. Uh, you get a generational talent there at corner to anchor that defense along with Aaron Donald. That's set. you got to go out and get offensive linemen because the Rams are going to miss the playoffs this year. They've traded away a lot of their draft picks. They're going to have to do some soul searching, and they're going to go find an offensive line 
or Goff's not going to be able to survive in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a tough position for sure. Let's move through the rest of these real quickly here. In their same division, the Seahawks and the Niners, what a great game on Monday Night Football. Maybe the best game of the year in the NFL. This game was almost a tie, and each team had every opportunity to win this game and uh, each team choked away the win, but ultimately the Seahawks came back to win and uh, pulled it off 27-24. to 24. This division, it's going to be one of these two teams. The winner of that division might be the top seed in the NFC when it's all said and done here, Tom. I think those are both very good teams. I wouldn't be shocked if the Niners go into Seattle and win it the other way. Uh, great game the other night, and uh, both these teams going forward, I think, are uh, a force to be reckoned with. Russell played great. He looks like an MVP candidate. Garoppolo, though, he he struggled a bit. Uh, he hasn't been the same quarterback that he was to start the season. No, he, he definitely isn't, and that's to be expected maybe a little bit. Uh, you know, you, you, you get Jimmy Garoppolo, and you take the highs with the lows, and then you still realize you've only lost one game. It's a, yeah, it's a division game, but that's a, you know, you get the Seahawks, I believe, again. Um, and, you, I mean, for – 49ers you you know take your wins and you don't even have to really count your losses um so for them you know you expect to lose yeah you don't expect to go undefeated uh, I mean not unless you're Bill Belichick but even then it's only been done you know one real time in the dealt with the Dolphins and another almost time with the Patriots you know you're going to expect to lose one why not lose a close one uh, that, you know, you go back and watch the film and say, hey, we had that game, we could have won that game. And and that's kind of been the season for the Seattle Seahawks is you take what you can get. That Pete Carroll team is gritty. They find ways to win. And so if it was going to be against a team, yeah, it is in the vision. If it's going to be against a team, you know, make it close and uh, figure out, you know, next time, get them next time. Um, the, the 49ers should not hang their hats on anything and the Seahawks should really be counting their blessings. Yeah, no question, no question about that. Uh, the Packers got a nice win against the Panthers. That was a close one, but Aaron Rodgers and company staying on a roll and a, a nice bounce back after the loss they suffered the week before that. Packers are 8-2, Panthers are 5-4. and four. Kyle Allen has had a nice run, uh, but I think the Panthers are done. We can write them off. The Packers, though, um, another good team in the NFC that is certainly a force to be reckoned with and good way for them to bounce back. It was, and it wasn't Aaron Rodgers that necessarily saved the day. It was that defense uh, against the leading rusher in the NFL. If you would have told me that at the beginning of the season, that Christian McCaffrey would have been the top running back in the league, I'd have laughed. Not that he's not good, but there are so many other backs who I would have imagined have been in that spot, and it's Christian McCaffrey putting on for the white guy thinking, man, uh, you know, what a story. Christian McCaffrey, uh, you know, I don't think it's talked about enough, really, uh, with his story from Stanford and, and should have, could have, would have been the Heisman candidate or could have won, could have won the Heisman, um, you know, only to come in the league. A lot of people counting him out, maybe not the size, maybe not the speed, maybe not the strength to be an NFL caliber running back. Maybe thought he was just going to be here, Danny Woodhead, run-of-the-mill type guy to come in and do what he's done for that team who's missing a piece like Cam Newton. Uh, granted, Cam Newton maybe not the best, but kind of the identity of the offense for him to kind of step up, take the plate, and shoulder the load for that Panther, Panthers offense uh, and to come in and, and 
you know, the misfortunes that the Panthers, Panthers have faced this season to come in and be a bright spot for them uh, has really been a story I don't think it's talked about enough. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's been uh, great to see, uh, no question about that. Uh, for what he's been able to do. Uh, last one here for you, the Vikings and the Cowboys. The Vikings got a win 28-24. to This was a toss-up game for me because both these teams are so confusing, so up and down. They don't play well against good football teams. The Vikings ultimately come up with the victory. They're 7-3 and on the year. Dallas is 5-4. and I think both these teams are just frauds, Tom. I, th- I don't think either team is going to be getting to the NFC Championship game. Um, I know that their offenses have some playmakers, but just too inconsistent for me. You know, the Vikings come out with the win in this one, but if, you're, if you think that Kirk Cousins should be an MVP candidate, um, stop watching stats and start watching how he actually plays football. Is anybody who's saying that? Uh, the mainstream media. Oh, man, I don't pay enough attention, I guess, because there's no way. Uh, I mean, Kirk Cousins has been too up and down all season, and so have the Cowboys. I mean, Vikings, you know, you at least you don't have the expectation that this is your year every year like the Cowboys do. And and if you're a realist, if you're a, a, real, a realist about the game and you're also a Dallas Cowboy fan, you realize and you shake your head at the fact that, that how up and down this season for the Cowboys have been because it's only buying Jason Garrett time as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And as soon as they can get rid of him, maybe they can figure something else out. But this up and down, you know, okay, we put together, we string together two or three wins and we look really good. And then, oh, game we probably should have won at home. Oh, slips away. That is Jason Garrett to a T. And until that is gone, you, you know, you – what do you do as a Dallas Cowboy fan? All you can say is this is our year every year, and, and you know, maybe once every 50 years you get it right. Right, and, and I think Kellen Moore is doing a good job as OC. It's not Kellen Moore. Um, it's Jason Garrett. It's Jason Garrett that's the uh, the biggest problem there in Dallas and uh, that's been the biggest issue with that uh, that squad. And uh, Minnesota, you know, th- this they are a pretender. I'm not buying anything that this team is selling. Uh, it's been a good run. You lost to Matt Moore. That's enough for me. Bye. Go away. Um, sayonara. Let's talk more National Football League about the Chiefs and go around the rest of the league as we bring in Omar Ruiz from the NFL Network as he joins us right now here on the Jones Report. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week from the NFL Network, it is Omar Ruiz who is here to discuss all things Chiefs and go around the NFL. Omar, appreciate the top. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Tyler. Always good to see you. Uh, I was glad I got to see you in person a couple weeks ago at that Vikings-Chiefs game, and always good to be on your show, my man. Hey, I appreciate that. We had a good time and saw a heck of a football game a couple weeks ago as uh, the Match Moore show was on. He was able to put together uh, quite the performance to get the Chiefs the victory, and then they bounced back uh, to take on the uh, Tennessee Titans this past week. And what in the world happened in Tennessee? Omar, I'm still shocked that the Chiefs gave away that game uh, considering the position they were in. They were about to extend the lead with a minute and a half left and uh, let that one slip away. And especially when Patrick Mahomes coming back looking like the magic Mahomes that we've come to expect from him and all the different manners in which he can deliver the football. But the statistic I look at most there, Tyler, is that he threw the ball 50 times. And when I look around the league, Patrick Mahomes against the Titans 50 times. The other big numbers that I've seen quarterbacks throw, 
for in terms of attempts this season. Russell Wilson against the Saints week three, he threw it 50 times. Week four, Jared Goff threw the ball 68 times against the Buccaneers. You know what they all have in common, Tyler? They lost the football game. And when you're throwing it that much, you're not possessing the football, and especially when the Chiefs have been struggling to stop the run, that allows the Titans to, to, to gain control of the time possession, eat the clock, you keep Mahomes off the field. That seems to be uh, you know, the formula there if you're going to defeat the Chiefs. But, yeah, it was certainly a surprise to see them lose that football game, especially considering how well otherwise Patrick Mahomes played. Yeah, no question about it. And considering how average Tennessee is, here's a team that benched their starting quarterback and Marcus Mariota for Ryan Tannehill. Uh, Derrick Henry, you know, he's been up and down. The skill positions aren't that great. You know, Mike Vrabel's job has been kind of, you know, on the hot seat of sorts there too. Um, for Tennessee to win this game, I don't think anybody really saw coming. I mean, the talk going in was more about Patrick Mahomes' health, not even necessarily, uh, you know, avoiding getting beat by Tennessee. It was about keeping Patrick healthy, but sure enough, Tennessee, they took care of business. I mean, they played really well down the stretch, taking advantage what Kansas City gave them. And that's certainly been the story of the Titans the last few years. Maybe in this entire Mariota era, you look at a couple years ago, they go to the playoffs and, and they even win a football game against the Chiefs, and then they end up changing uh, the leadership there with the head coach. And then last year, they have one performance where they smash the Patriots and surprise all of football with a win like that, like they did against the Chiefs this past Sunday. And then they lay an egg a week later. So the Titans certainly been up and down, but when they get things rolling with a, a player like Derrick Henry and, and a tough defense like they have, and they could beat anybody, but which Titans team you're going to get has certainly been the question the last couple of years. Yeah, no question. No question about that. Uh, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes. He came back. He played really well. Doesn't quite look 100% yet. His mobility is not completely there. But just the progress that we saw from Patrick Mahomes was a huge step in in itself to know that Patrick's on the right track. I mean, it, it looks like that he's closer to getting to 100% than uh, necessarily just limping around out there. I mean, certainly Sunday, despite the loss, was a good sign uh, about Patrick and his health going forward it's encouraging Tyler and then especially when you consider that after this game against the Chargers here on Monday night in Mexico City that he'll have a bye so then he'll get two more weeks to rest and you would imagine that down the stretch he'll be at at full strength 100 percent or as close to it as he can be we all know that at this point in the season no player is truly healthy in the NFL but it certainly looks like he'll be able to manage um, you know maximum effectiveness down the stretch but you know, heading down against Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram and, and the rest of that pass rush that, you know, has had mixed success against Mahomes here the last couple of years, you know, that'll certainly be a, another test as well. No question. No question about that. Uh, Omar, when you look at Patrick Mahomes and uh, where he's at uh, at this point in time, what, what do you make of his game right now? Or have you seen uh, much much improvement uh, from a season ago and, and where he's at with this offense? What, what do you make of what he's done uh, so far when he's been able to play in 2019? Well, I, I haven't seen – I don't want to say I've seen any improvement because his play was already so phenomenally, phenomenally high. But what I will say is you haven't seen drop-off, and I think that is amazing in and of itself because, Tyler, as we know, once the NFL gets tape on you, those defensive coordinators make massive adjustments, and the fact that Patrick Mahomes has been able to maintain his phenomenal play is a credit to him, and you could even say that's 
an improvement. But um, statistically, he's been playing great. Um, just aesthetically still, you know, like we talked about, just the, the, the manner with which he throws the ball and those electrifying plays and jumping off and, you know, just really the, the um, you know, magician that he's, he's known to be. And the fact that he really hasn't fallen off, I think, is a huge feather in his cap as much as there has been so much focus on him and his game and trying to pick him apart and trying to defeat him and get the best of it. Certainly helps that he still has all those great weapons around him and Andy Reid is his coach. But the fact that there hasn't been a drop-off, I think, speaks volumes to Patrick Mahomes' ability and Patrick Mahomes' work ethic to counter what the NFL is doing to try to, to combat him. His uh, offensive line has been dealing with some health issues all season long. The Tennessee game, they were down to just five offensive linemen total uh, due to the injuries that they suffered at one point. Mitchell Schwartz, his uh, consecutive snap streak ended. A lot of issues with uh, that offensive line, and, and in particular, not only protecting Patrick, you know, you know him getting hurt a couple weeks ago, but really establishing that running game. It's been so up and down. They haven't been able to get a consistent running game, it seems, with uh, the problems they've had with keeping that O-line healthy. Yeah, especially when you look at LaShawn McCoy getting the week off for rest purposes. That seemed a little bizarre, um, especially when we consider that they're going to have the bye here in a couple weeks and, and wanting to keep him fresh. and Load management. Yeah, load management, yeah. It's come to the NFL. You said it. Uh, but the Chiefs, you know, 24th in the league and, and rushing, you know, probably not what, what you want. But the fact that they use their running back so effectively in the running game, you know, kind of offsets that a little bit. But but I think your point about the offensive line um, has a lot to do with that and, and maybe the reliability, of you know, the, the chemistry that they have or, or lack thereof, you know, when you're shuffling guys in all the time and, and the turnover, obviously, with Mitch Morse now gone and just dealing with those uh, changes. Uh, from year to year, and then certainly from week to week, with the injuries pile up, and you're, you're not going to get in a rhythm. And and you know we we've seen that across the league. You, you can look no further than the L.A. Rams, who the Chiefs had that classic against last year, and and what seems to be a regression there offensively for them. Um, so you know when you have offensive line issues, certainly affects the entirety of the offense, and I think the Chiefs are no exception. The uh, skill positions for Kansas City, you know, Tyreek Hill and uh, Sammy Watkins each suffered injuries. They're back within the fold. Tyreek had an incredible game last week. We've also seen McCole Hardman develop. Uh, Travis Kelsey's played really well the last couple of weeks. Uh, what do you make of the, those uh, those wide receiver positions, those receivers that uh, the Chiefs have? Or, or are they as good as any in football, Omar? I'd have to say at this point, you know, especially when you consider – uh, the talent of Tyreek Hill is, is second to none at this point, especially, especially with Antonio Brown now uh, not playing this season, currently out of the NFL, that you know there is no more talented player than Tyreek Hill at that position. Not saying necessarily he's the best, but no more more talented. And you know, just seeing him up close in person there against Minnesota a couple weeks ago and, and making those catches and plays down the stretch was just phenomenal performance. And Sammy Watkins, when he's been healthy, he's always been productive and, and a reliable player. And, and then certainly, and certainly Hardway, Hardman coming down the stretch and running the way he has. I thought that was Tyreek at first when he broke away and showed off his electrifying speed. So when you put that all together, yeah, you, I would put them up with any teams, um, three receiver set, you know, I, I think right up there with, with Woods, Cooks, and, and Cup when they're healthy um, in terms of the three wide receivers. 
and comparisons around the league. Heck, even Demarcus Robinson has uh, played fantastic for being a number four receiver as well. So, yeah, this group is uh, loaded. The The problems, though, with this team are certainly with the defense. And, uh, I mean, a crushing blow to the Chiefs that we found out this week that Emmanuel Ogbaugh, who they picked up in a trade in the offseason, who was just a steal, um, he's going to be out for the year. He was leading the team in sacks with five and a half sacks. This was the guy, Omar, that started out training camp third string on the depth chart worked his way up to being a starter with some of the injuries to Alex Okafor and some of these other guys and now all of a sudden a guy that the Chiefs weren't even sure was going to get playing time beginning at camp all of a sudden this is a huge blow to this team to lose a guy like Ogba for uh, the rest of the season yeah uh, yeah he's been showing flashes and really he's been flashing throughout his career obviously they hope to get more out of him in Cleveland never came to fruition but he did have promise there and certainly showed it a lot here in Kansas City. And, and furthermore, when you've got a guy like Frank Clark, who admitted this week that even when he has been out there, maybe not have been 100%, and 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 the, the totality that that has taken on the defense and, and everything else that they have going for them certainly has been a, a big question mark. And, and can it hold up, Tyler? That'll obviously, I think, define their season. I think Patrick Mahomes and the rest of those weapons will be reliable. They'll get production. Andy Reid will find a way to scheme against whatever defense he goes against. But can the Kansas City defense hold up um, with or without Ogba will be the key to their season. Right, right. And you mentioned earlier the blueprint is you know out there on how to beat Kansas City. It's running the football. And all four losses, uh, they've given up over 100 yards as somebody, somebody to do at least one rusher on the opposing team on the ground, including last week against uh, Derrick Henry and the Titans. The week before, Chris Jones came back, and they did a really good job containing Dalvin Cook. Is there anything you think the Chiefs can do to shore up that run defense, to play like they did a couple weeks ago against Minnesota? Can they make that a permanent thing, or is this going to be a problem for this team, you think, uh, for the rest of the year? Well, they, they can sell out for it and, and challenge the quarterback to beat them um, and, and certainly try to get those turnovers there in the secondary. you got Tyron Matthew, who's been one of the best playmakers in football um, when he's been healthy throughout his tenure in it, um, kind of free him up and, and allow him to wreak havoc back there um, and you know stack the box and, and try to aid the defensive front that way. Um, you know, might leave you susceptible, but, you know, I think that's the few ways that, you can combat that um, and, you know, continue the player development. And, and, you know, we talk about it all the time, Tyler, next man up. Um, Chiefs aren't the only team that has, you know, these key injuries. And it's all about that development and second and third stringers and, and how well they can be productive. Um, but certainly, you know, that run game will be a focus and will continue to be as long as those Chiefs up and down performances continue. Uh, on the secondary, you mentioned uh, Tyron Matthew, of him being obviously the a big part, the, the best player in that secondary. Uh, it seems like when you look at that secondary, you got a young guy in Thornhill at the other safety spot, Dan Sorensen off the bench, and then those cornerbacks. You got some good number two type of corners, but there's no elite defender uh, in that secondary. And, and at times, that seems like it's been a problem for the Chiefs is uh, really going up against some of these elite receivers uh, where these quarterbacks can have a you know quite the heyday because there's not uh, you know quite the challenge per se of, of taking on a top corner. They don't have that in Kansas City, it would appear. Well, and I think the big question coming into the season was yes, they made flashy moves like acquiring Frank Clark and acquiring Tyron Matthew, but essentially they're replacing guys like D Ford 
and Eric Berry. And so really, when you look at the big picture of the defense, it was certainly essentially a wash when you talk about the impact that those players have had and then the fact that they lost Justin Houston. So you can argue that that they took a step back. Certainly, Manuel Agba is, you know, as good as he might have been playing is, is no Justin Houston, especially in those clutch moments as we saw last year. So from a personnel standpoint, I think they might have even taken a step back. And, and so we continue to see these questions on defense that were the big question marks last year. Of course, giving up to, you know, 54 points against the Rams. Uh, that one time comes to mind and, and, you know, at different points during the season, letting them down. They made the changes uh, that they did and still we're seeing those question marks. So, you know, a secondary inexperience at corners or ineffectiveness at corners at times, you know, the, a big a big reason for that. And I think um, you made valid points there, Tyler, that uh, they'll need they'll need to be better here down the stretch. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. The the other thing, uh, last thing, as far as looking at the personnel, um, special teams wise, Omar, do, do you think last week was kind of just a, a fluky situation? I mean, it, it seems like that's been one of the most consistent things for the Chiefs over the years has been the special teams unit with what they've been able to do with Butker and Colquitt and and all those guys there. They've been a market consistency. Last week was a bad week, but. Other than that, um, do, do you think they'll move forward and be fine there, or do you think this is you know, a real issue of some sorts uh, with, with that unit based on the way things collapsed there in that last 90 seconds? Well, you know, whenever a special teams unit is led by Dave Tobe, I think they'll be okay. Um, yeah, every unit has a bad game here and there, and I would just chalk that up there. You mentioned, you know, Bucker was the player of the week, you know, the week before, and, and Colquitt has been as reliable as they come. But, yeah, I think, you know, they just collectively had a bad game. You know, it, it cost them, you know, certainly, um, you know, with the block there. And, and they'll move past it. I think they're well-coached and, and a disciplined team. So I don't think that's necessarily a concern. I think they'll be okay having played in big games and, and under the pressure and spotlight. That'll continue. I think we just chalked that one up to a bad game. This Monday, going to Mexico City to take on the uh, Chargers. The uh, Chargers, of course, have been disappointing a bit this year. They did have a nice win uh, against Green Bay just a couple of weeks ago. How you feel about that matchup of Kansas City going up against this uh, Chargers bunch down there in Mexico? No, I think it'll be a great game. I think the Chargers will come out desperately. Um, you know, the, I think their season hinges on it. Big difference between five and six versus four and seven. Uh, that'll that'll certainly tell the story of their season. But yeah, I mean, it's really we talked about the mark of inconsistency again. And I think there might be no better Jekyll and Hyde team than the Chargers to look as dominant as they did against the Packers and then you know play as poorly as they did up in Oakland. Um, and and I think a big reason of that they just haven't put four quarters together um, like they're capable of. They did that against Green Bay, it looked great, and even in some of their wins. They haven't played that well. You look at the Indianapolis game week one comes to mind that, you know, they, they looked fantastic for a half. They allowed Indy to come back in it. And, of course, they were saved in overtime to win the football game. But uh, which Chargers team will show up? And now they've had incredible injury, um, whether it's Melvin Ingram, whether it's Russell Okun, the big left tackle, who's now been back for a couple games. Derwin James, of course, hasn't played this season. Um, Melvin Gordon didn't start the year. He looks like he's rounded into form. So they've had huge question marks, too. Which unit will, will the Chiefs see in Mexico City? The one that beat Green Bay or the one that lost to Oakland? I think you know, that will determine the outcome of that game, obviously. 
last year when they were supposed to play in a Mexico City against the Rams, uh, that game ended up getting moved to L.A. due to concerns with the turf. We already saw a preseason game this year involving the Packers up in Canada that uh, they didn't even play their starters because they were concerned about the turf. Kind of weird, these international games dealing with some turf issues of sorts. Should, should the Chiefs have any reason to be concerned this weekend in Mexico City with uh, with these issues, especially knowing that Patrick's not 100%? Do you think uh, – you know, they should proceed. There, there should be some proceed with caution, per se, uh, going down there, considering the history of some of these things, how they've worked out. I don't think so. I think the last couple of years, Mexico City hosted a game. Uh, it was fine when you look at the Raiders uh, Patriots game uh, in 2017, and then the Raiders Texans game in 2016. Obviously, the issues last year caused them to force the game to move to Los Angeles, but. I remember Roger Goodell still went down there last year and he met with officials and they still went ahead with the three-year contract to have a game there. So I'd imagine Roger Goodell was assured that this sort of thing will never happen again. So I'd expect that turf and, and, and that stadium to be kind of in as pristine condition as it can be to put their best foot forward to, to recapture the trust of the NFL once again. This Chiefs team sitting at six and four on the season. When you look at their final six games, uh, Omar, um, you know some, a lot of divisional games here in this stretch. You got a tough game against the Patriots on the road here. Um, even with as inconsistent as this team has been, there's still a realistic opportunity this team could end up at twelve and four or eleven and five at this point in time. Um, that's not out of the picture for this team. I mean, considering just the way things have gone, if you're a Chiefs fan, I think you would gladly take a finish of twelve and four or eleven and five at this point, uh, considering what what's all gone on and and they have a good chance to uh, finish out this regular season on a high note, I think. Yeah, with the exception of that Patriots game, I think they'll be favored in every game they play. Uh, you look at the Chargers twice and Broncos and and, uh, you know, an underachieving Bears team um, that they'll have. So certainly everything is right there in front of them. And to overcome the way they have, you know, sometimes Tyler in the NFL facing adversity, overcoming it brings teams together and really is the catalyst uh, for a deep playoff run. And so kind of they've, they've lived charmed lives since Patrick Mahomes has been there. And so dealing with, you know, his injury and some of this other adversity that they face, you know, will, you know, perhaps can make them a better football team, one that can deal with, you know, maybe even going on the road this year in the playoffs, unlike last year, and, and being able to handle that and, and win some games if they have to by going to Foxborough potentially for an AFC championship. So, um, you know, all these um, challenges that, that they're overcoming, you know, should they overcome and, and win big down the stretch will, will perhaps only help them uh, come January and, and, and help them get to Miami should that be the case. That that brings up a good point. It uh, makes me think about Omar a couple of years back when uh, the Giants lost to the uh, Patriots, when the Patriots went 16-0. and And it seemed like that loss that the Giants suffered at the end of the regular season, that was the fuel they needed to fire up that playoff run where they went you know, undefeated on the road and ultimately ended up beating New England of some sorts there. I mean, it's really just up to coaching and how you spin this of uh, how you want to take adversity. If, if you can you can turn it into a, uh, a positives of some sorts, it's been done time and time again. So I, I think you bring up a good point there. When you look at this AFC as a whole right now, the Patriots got off to such a good 
start. But now the Ravens have emerged. They've played some good football lately. Uh, the Texans are pretty good. You know, the Colts, some of these other teams here. Um, everybody talked about that this was going to be the Patriots and the Chiefs before the season began. But the AFC, it, it would seem like, Omar, that it's got more parity than I think most of us anticipated. Well, when you look at what Lamar Jackson has done in Baltimore, I think you know that will be the toughest out of them all, how, how teams will match up against him. We saw the Chargers have some success last year in the playoffs to go to Baltimore and win and, and deploy you know, that 7-DB uh, defense um, in limiting Lamar Jackson's production. But then you saw then the Patriots the next week counter that and, and smash you know, the Chargers out of the playoffs. So um, you know, Lamar Jackson, I think that's going to be the key. And, and can New England their defense be as productive as it's been. I mean, it's been historic to start the year and putting as much points as they put on the board has been amazing. Um, but, but in terms of the entire picture of the AFC, certainly like we just talked about, I don't think there's any reason uh, why the chiefs can't go on a run here, but, but I think, you know, getting past new England, getting past Baltimore, potentially playing in those cities in January will be a challenge given all the weather and, and home field advantages that they can provide. But but solving the Lamar Jackson riddle, which nobody has seemed to so far, will be the big question down the stretch. No doubt. No doubt about it. Uh, the NFC, it's been fun over there. The Niners got off to that hot start to the season. They lose in overtime to the Seahawks. Now they're uh, sitting at 8-1. and one, But a lot of good teams in the NFC. I have no idea how this is ultimately going to play out over there. I mean, there's you know, a few weeks left in the regular season, and we could see a lot of changes when it comes to this seed line and division titles over the next couple of weeks. It seems like nothing is settled over there. Yeah, you, you have some teams that I think potentially could be super teams. I think the flash in the pan was Saints losing the Falcons. You know, that was just a, a doggone NFC South big-time rivalry matchup that maybe the Saints were overlooking the Falcons given – how bad the Falcons have been this year, but you look at that entire unit and the fact that they're able to go five and zero without Drew Brees, and Drew Brees, you know, second game back now, he'll find his rhythm. And just like I believe Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs will kind of get stronger as the year goes on, I think Drew Brees and the Saints will. But you look at that Green Bay roster and and the defense and and its capabilities and how big and strong they are, and not to mention what Aaron Aaron Rodgers provides and Aaron Jones, and then you, then they have Devonte Adams now you know, getting back healthy and, and all that could mean after the bye, you know, that could be a potentially scary outfit as well. And then the sneaky team that, that has, has underachieved so far as the Philadelphia Eagles, they came into the year, Tyler, we've talked about how, how, how talented that team is. And they've, they've really underachieved. If they can capture some of that magic that they had a couple of years ago and, and find some consistency, I don't see why they can't compete with some of those NFC, uh, you know, powers. And then I still think that the, the Seahawks and Niners are really good. Um, you know, how good they can be, I think the story will be told by the 49ers offense um, and how well they play down the stretch, what kind of production they can get from their receivers, because we know they're going to be able to run the football. I think Jimmy G will still continue to grow as a quarterback. And then how good the Seahawks defense can be, because we know Russell Wilson's magic uh, will be electric, as it always is. So, yeah, a lot of storylines there in the NFC, a lot to be figured out. And when you look at the shuffling of those seeds, you know, it could be very similar to what we saw in the AFC last year where the Chiefs and Chargers were kind of battling it out where one week they were the one seed, the next week they were the five seed. I think you can see a lot of that in the NFC this year with um, that shuffling toward the playoff race. 
Week 17 could be more interesting than uh, it's been in quite some time. You could have more teams playing their starters the entire game on Week 17 uh, with this many implications that we're talking about with how tight things are as of right now. Last question for you, Omar, before we let you run here. Who's been the biggest surprise, you think, in the league, and who's been the biggest disappointment uh, in the NFL this year? It's hard for me to say that the Bears haven't been the disappointing uh, team of the year thus far, given that they had the Super Bowl expectations. You thought that in year two, Matt Nagy would, would develop Mitch Trubisky even more than he already did last year, given the fact that Trubisky made the Pro Bowl um, with his first year with Matt, Matt Nagy. And they're sitting here four and five now, replacing Chuck Pagano um, or Vic Fangio with Chuck Pagano. You know, who knows how big of a toll that's taken on their defense. But the fact that they haven't done more, um, given their success last year, and, and Khalil Mack now with a whole training camp and offseason to fortify that defense, you know, I think that would have to be, for me, the biggest disappointment and surprise of the 2019 season. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. It's uh, It's been surprising for sure what Chicago's had. I thought this was going to be a Super Bowl contender, but uh, certainly they're not at this point in time. Big game this weekend against the Rams. You'll be there for that uh, Rams and uh, Bears game. That should be fun. And, uh, of course, you're all over the National Football League, Omar. Where are uh, some of the sites uh, you're headed uh, for the next uh, next week or so? Well, yeah, I'll be at that Bears Rams uh, Sunday night game, which I think will be an elimination game uh, for each team. Bears lose their four and six and fading fast from a very deep NFC playoff race. Uh, Rams lose their five and five, but they have two teams in their division they'd have to overcome with incredible separation uh, with the Seahawks and 49ers. So that's going to be interesting. Then I'll be heading up to San Francisco going to work on a uh, feature story with one of their uh, incredible defensive linemen, Eric Armstead. So I'll get a chance to see them. And uh, and then the, the NFL schedule and, and the games will dictate where I'll be after that um, in terms of how this playoff race will shape up. But it'll be exciting once again, Tyler, and hope to cross paths uh, as these uh, Kansas City Chiefs will be interesting either way, um, you know, depending on how their season shakes out. But I hope to see again sometime soon no doubt about it omar and uh we appreciate the time thanks for joining us man and uh give this guy a follow on social media he's got some great content and uh covering the national football league at large doing a great job and we appreciate the time omar thanks for joining us we'll talk again soon thanks tyler always fun man anytime big thanks to omar ruiz for joining us here on the jones report today tyler jones Thomas Bridges back here with you now. Let's go ahead and get to our college football and NFL picks against the spread this week. Five games on the college football slate, five games on the NFL slate, and a quick update on the standings. They are starting to tighten up a bit. Uh, our buddy Billy Locke is uh, still leading at uh, 55-52-3. Thomas, you are just a game back. You and uh, our buddy Derek Harris are tied for second at a 54-53-3. And, and then in last place is a three-way tie between myself, Brian Nolan, and uh, Reed Williams. We're all at 47-60-3. And, and uh, so from last place to first place, there's only an eight-game difference right now, Tom. Uh, this is – here we are going into, I believe it's week 11. And, uh, I mean – when you factor in bowl season and the playoffs and all that, we, we still got a long ways to go. This is still uh, pretty wide open at this point. I think so. I mean, 
the parity compared to last year is a lot closer um, for sure, and I don't know if that's just bad on the top people or better for the bottom people. I, I think it's a little bit of both because uh, we are all doing worse than we did a season ago. Uh, I mean, all of us were above 500 last year, and not a, only one of us, uh, only three of us are this year, and just barely. So let's hope for better luck this week, and uh, let's get started with our college football picks against the spread. We talked about this game earlier. Number 10, Oklahoma taking on number 12, Baylor. The Sooners come in as a 10-point favorite to Waco. This is going to be the ESPN College game day game. Also, Saturday Night Football and ABC is going to be there. Tom, it makes no sense to me why OU is a 10-point favorite because based on the way the Sooners have played lately, there, there's just nothing that shows me that they should be favored against, you know, about three-fourths of the Big 12 by 10 points, let alone – the team that's in first place right now. Right, yeah, it's, it's shocking. I could have said at most six points. Uh, how many? How much were they favored by over Iowa State? Uh, 14. Right, and so, you know, you, you win by one against Iowa State and they only drop it down four points, or yeah, four points at a game that you're playing against an undefeated Baylor Bears team in Waco doesn't make any sense. I, I mean, Vegas must are you just really not all the OU homers. Vegas you know, buy must in on this. They must really not like Baylor. Um, and and you think about it. Of course, there's going to be a lot more OU betters than Baylor betters, just by pure alumni numbers and football interest. But with getting three points for being the home team on a neutral field, and this is something to think about later for if these two teams meet the Big Twelve Championship, Vegas thinks. That on a neutral field, Tom, OU is two touchdowns better than Baylor. They give them the three points, they make it ten. Still two possessions, just no respect for the Bears. Yeah, none at all. Uh, I mean, from for what Matt Rule's done, I mean, at this point, I think Baylor probably uses that to fuel the fire a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so with all that being said. With that case being made, if you couldn't tell already, uh, I'm going with Baylor to cover. I'd like OU to win, but I'll go with the Bears to cover the 10-point margin. I think OU wins this by a field goal. You know, they very well could. I think it's a toss-up game. I'm not going to say who wins or loses, but I do think Baylor covers. Okay, so we're going to agree on that one. Auburn taking on Georgia. The Bulldogs are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Auburn at home in this one, Jordan Hare Stadium, one of the toughest places to play in the country. Uh, Auburn defeated Georgia the last time they played at uh, Jordan Hare uh, just a couple of years ago. Tom, I am not impressed with this Georgia team. Uh, they they have not looked good, uh, in my opinion, considering the talent that's there. Jake Fromm has had a down year. Auburn has surprised me a bit uh, with their freshman quarterback, Bo Nix. I'm all in on Bo Nix. I think he's going to be a star in college football. I got Auburn defending their home turf. I think that they can uh, not only cover two and a half, I, I like the uh, Tigers to pull off the upset here. You know, they very well could. And, you know, for that sake, I will go ahead and go with Georgia. I do think it is a toss-up game. Uh, the points are close enough for me that I don't think it matters. I could very well see Auburn winning this game. Um, and, you know, go ahead and, and take, you know, covering and winning. I could also see Georgia outright winning this game. Um, so I will go ahead and roll with the Bulldogs. Um, you know, like I said, toss-up for me, but I'll go with Georgia. 
Number seven, Minnesota on the road at number 23, Iowa. We talked about Baylor not getting respect as an undefeated. Minnesota, undefeated, just got off a big win against Penn State. Dominated that game from start to finish. Rushed the field and everything. What an atmosphere it was in Minneapolis over the weekend. Iowa just lost to uh, Wisconsin um, over the weekend. They fell to 23 in the rankings, but the Hawkeyes are still favored by two and a half. Tom, another one that doesn't make sense to me. No respect. I like Minnesota to win and cover as a two-and-a-half-point dog. Yeah, I think Minnesota is getting disrespected. And after their you know big win against Penn State, the first time to beat a top-five team in nearly 20 years, I think they've earned the respect that they should be given, and they're not. Uh, for that alone, I like what Minnesota's put together this year, and I'll take them as well. Next game on the slate, number 21, Navy. Good to see the midshipmen in the top 25. That always makes me smile anytime one of the service academies get up there. And they take on Notre Dame. The Irish are a 9.5-point favorite. Tom, you know, I really want to pick Navy in this game, and I would just love it if Navy pulled off the upset and beat uh, not a nicer guy than Brian Kelly if they were able to pull this one off. But... I think Notre Dame's going to take care of business. Nine and a half points. They win by 10. They get this covered. Um, I'll, I'll pick Notre Dame, but I'm really – this is one where I would rather be wrong than be right. I would like to see Navy pull this one off. Yeah, it is tough. I could see Navy pulling it off, but, uh, I mean, any more than nine – I mean, if it was 10 and a half, I could see Notre Dame pulling it. I could see Navy giving a run for their, for their money. I could still see Notre Dame pulling this out by 10 at least. Uh, if it was 10.5, I would still be – I mean, I know one point's one point, but when you're picking the spread, it's all that matters a lot of the time. Um, so I will roll with Notre Dame too, but this is this is one that I am a little bit more hesitant on and, than uh, I would like to accept. Last game in the college slate, Indiana, who's had a surprisingly good season, only two losses on the year, on the road – at number nine, Penn State, the uh, Nittany Lions looking to bounce back after that beatdown they were handed against Minnesota last week. Penn State, a 14-point favorite at home. Tom, is that too many points for Penn State? It is quite a few. Uh, it's more than I feel comfortable with to a certain extent, but I will still go ahead and pick Penn State. Uh, Indiana has had uh, one of the better seasons than I can ever remember Indiana having. Um, even on Reddit, for the people who get on Reddit and browse our college football, uh, you will see how shocked Indiana fans and how happy they are that they are ranked for the first time in forever. Um, so with that being said, Penn State by 14, sure, but doesn't mean I'm not nervous about it. Right, right. So those are our picks uh, for this week. Tom and I each like Baylor as a 10-point underdog against OU. I'm going with Auburn as a 10-point underdog against Georgia. Tom's going with Georgia to cover two and a half. We each like Minnesota as a 10-point underdog. And then uh, we're going favorites with Notre Dame at nine and a half and Penn State at 14 for our picks this week. Let's move on to the National Football League. The game of the week this week is the Ravens and the Texans, two of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the National Football League. And uh, they can run, they can pass, they can do it all. Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. One's a former national champion. Another is a Heisman Trophy winner. The Ravens are a four-point favorite. The Texans have held their own all season long as well. Tom, this is a game I could see going really either way. But at the moment, 
I got to go with the hot hand. I'll go with Baltimore to win. They're at home, four-point favorite. I think they cover, but uh, nothing is going to shock me of any outcome from this game. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, very high octane. Both teams have playmakers on offense, both great quarterbacks. Uh, Jones, I'll take the Ravens as well. And in a, a thing that I thought was pretty freaking cool, and especially if you're a Ravens fan or if even if you're just a college football enthusiast in general, how about that Heisman backfield that uh, that the Ravens ran out uh, this past week? Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, and RG3. Uh, you know, I know RG3 is on the back end of that, um, but that was kind of cool to see. Oh, that was fantastic. That was studly. And uh, you had to love it if you're a college football fan to see that group uh, get together in that way. How about the Patriots and the Eagles? The Patriots, a three-and-a-half-point favorite against uh, Philly in uh, in that ball game. Tom, I think that's disrespectful to the Patriots. You want to talk about respect? That's disrespectful to New England to only give them three and a half against the Eagles. The Eagles are struggling. They're not fulfilling the potential of how good they really are. I think the Eagles are a very talented team, maybe the most talented team in the NFC, but the Patriots are on a whole nother level. This, to me, is just blasphemy that the Patriots are only a three and a half point favorite. They should be a nine point favorite in this game. I hate giving more credit to New England than I have to, but to me, this is just ludicrous. This is free money right here, New England at three and a half. Oh, of course it is. And and if I'm not mistaken, New England's coming out of a bye week? Yes. And they're probably pissed off since they got that ass handed to them by the Ravens the previous week. And you give Bill Belichick two weeks to prepare for a team that is not so good, that he's beaten before? No. No. And, well, I mean, I guess he's lost to him before in, in, the, in the Super Bowl. No, he's not doing – I mean, they're not – not only are they not going to lose this game, they're going to win this game by more than 10. I like the confidence. We both like New England to cover this one. How about the Bears and the Rams? Two teams that certainly need a turnaround pretty quickly here. It's make or break for both these teams as they're trying to fight for their playoff lives at this point. Two of the most um, disappointing teams in the NFL, the Bears and the Rams. The Rams are at home. They're a seven-point favorite. Tom do the Rams warrant to be a seven-point favorite in this one? You know, not after last week. And uh, there's no knock on the Steelers because, really, if we're going to be honest, the great defense won that for uh, for the Steelers. It wasn't necessarily Mason Rudolph out there lighting the field up and lighting the Rams' defense up because the Rams did. Uh, I mean, the only touchdown that they got was a, a strip-sack fumble recovery for a touchdown by Dante Fowler. Uh other than that, though, the defense still played really well for the Rams. It's just the offense was very lackluster against one of the top defenses in the NFL. The Bears are no different. Uh, you know, they might have Trubisky at quarterback. However, they have one of the top defenses in the league, and the Rams always struggle. Um, you know, and Jared Goff, like I said, Rams just lost their starting six. Out for the year with an MCL, not, I don't believe it was a tear, but I do believe it was a, a, an injury to warrant him missing the rest of the season. That offensive line is every bit of decimated as that, that the Chiefs are. Um, and, you know, when you have Patrick Mahomes, you can somewhat make do. When you have Jared Goff, you just have to hope to get lucky. Um, and so I think the Rams still win, but I don't think they cover here. Okay, okay. 
Uh, I am going to go with the uh, Rams to uh, cover and win in this one. They're due for a bounce-back game. The Bears have shown me no life on offense. Uh, you know, Mitch Trubisky played okay last week, but I cannot rely on Trubisky. You give me the choice of golf or Trubisky, I'll take golf every day twice on Sunday. And, uh, I mean, it's time to start talking about should Trubisky be benched. That's how real this has gotten. I like uh, the Rams to win and cover at 7 the Jags and the Colts. Uh, the Colts are a three-and-a-half-point favorite in uh, this game. We'll see if Jacoby Brissett gives it a go or not. Tom, uh, even if he doesn't play, the Colts have to do something. They have to put something together. And uh, Nick Foles, obviously, he's back for Jacksonville uh, You know, in as well. I, I, I'm going to go with the Colts. I'm going to go with the home team. I, I think that you know it should have been a wake-up call to them losing to the Dolphins at home. I don't expect them to play that bad the rest of the year like they did last week yeah you know with Nick Foles just coming back uh you know I don't know how rusty he's gonna be you know for for what it's worth you know and I know the Jags aren't the most highly talked about team in the league but I for one like that little storyline or that little blip that we saw with Minshew I I mean maybe he's not the best quarterback but he might be the most likable quarterback in the league, really. Uh, I mean, he just he just drips with swag. Uh, he's he's kind of like a more likable Baker Mayfield in a sense, and on in my opinion. Um, so I'm gonna roll with the Colts too because I think something's got to give. I think they figure it out this week, um, and you know, hopefully, they can get Jacoby Brissett back soon because the way they were playing, uh, really shocked me and then like we said before earlier on in the show I think the way the Colts played last two games is how I figured they would were going to play all season long Jacoby Percet showed me wrong uh and and for the sake that is the story of the Indianapolis Colts this season with what they went through at the beginning I for one hope they go ahead and pull this off I will take them and wish Jacoby Percet a speedy recovery uh, and, and hopefully they can still remain alive. In that division, I think they can. The Chiefs yeah. didn't help them any, um, but I think they can pull this off at home. Well, uh, Jacoby Bursett, he said today that Frank Wright sat him out to protect myself from myself. What does that even mean? <laughs> That's deep. It is. That's deep. But it sounds like Jacoby's going to be back and ready to go. Last one, Chiefs and Chargers on Monday Night Football in Mexico City. <laughs> Man, I'm so nervous about not necessarily the game itself, but the areas for Patrick to get hurt. We know about the turf in Mexico City, the issues they had there, the Chiefs and their offensive line problems. Patrick still not 100% yet. Tom, I'm very nervous about this game in regards to the health of Patrick Mahomes. I think they're going to win. I think they cover. I'm more concerned about if they can keep their star quarterback healthy. Yeah, I mean, at this point, we've talked about this multiple, multiple times uh, since last year. They shouldn't even be playing in Mexico City. I don't even care what they do. They should not be playing in Mexico City. They, I mean, to have their all, you know, all these million-dollar players play and faces of the league play and could potentially get hurt. It's, it's for I don't even call it ignorance. It's stupidity on the safety of players. We, you know. NFL preaches so much safety of players, safety of players, don't hit the quarterback below the knee, don't hit people in the head, 
don't do this bullshit penalty. Don't do that bullshit penalty. Don't, you know, hit the quarterback in the face with your hand after, you know, even if you just slightly tap his helmet. Don't do this. Don't do that. All these safety precautions, all these sacks that are roughing the quarterback, you know, all these unnecessary roughness penalties. Oh, I can on and on and on. We see it on Twitter every week about that's a good, hard, clean sack. That's a good, clean, hard hit. Flag, flag, flag. And then you have the audacity to go and play in Mexico City, not only where it's dangerous, not only where the altitude is a lot higher than even Denver, where the Chargers and Chiefs have no, you know, don't even know about playing in that type of atmosphere. Maybe that's on that's low on the totem pole. That's very low. That's a, that's a cheap shot on my end saying the altitude, but it's there. But to put player safety in danger where you preach so much on player safety on a field that is half-ass like that of a poor, pissed-poor high school football stadium. I mean, Union and Jinx, and, and I'm just using the top, you know, the, the, the names that people might recognize from Oklahoma football, have nicer fields than that of Azteca. You don't put the player safety in jeopardy over a freaking field. No. No, I don't even know why you're playing this game after last year's whole debacle where you had to cancel all that. There are people who had flights. There are people who had tickets. Jones, we almost we, – we didn't almost. We thought about it. We gave it some thought about going to this game in Mexico City last year for the Chiefs and the Rams. Oh, I'm glad no. we didn't. You don't. You don't put – for all that player safety you preach, to go ahead and go through with this game. I haven't seen the field yet. And, you know, I'm sure it's not much better than it was last year. You don't do this. I mean, they're still going to play. I guarantee you, though, and it sucks. Someone's going to hurt. Someone's going to tear an MCL. Someone's going to tear an ACL or something like that on a non-contact football move. And we are not going to hear the end of this. And the NFL will regret allowing this to happen. Yeah. I don't think the NFL should be playing in Mexico and I do not think the NBA should be playing in China either. Um, I'll go with the Chiefs to cover three and a half. Tom, are you going with the Chiefs to cover here? John, I do like the Chiefs to cover here, but I will not be surprised if there is a non-contact injury on the field that is Azteca. I don't think it's a very good idea for the NFL to try this again this season. Yeah, I am not a fan of Azteca, and uh, just hope the Chiefs can come out of there without any harm of some sorts uh, going forward. But those are our picks of the week here in the National Football League. Uh, we each like the Chiefs at three and a half, going with the Colts as well as a three and a half point favorite. I like the Rams as a seven point favorite. Tom likes the Bears. I'll go with the Patriots as three-and-a-half-point favorites. So will Tom, and we're both going with the Ravens as four-point favorites. So we're saying it's a good week for favorites this week. Uh, only one underdog between us that we're taking there. Uh, let's move on. Before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Lurie story of the week. Tom, what do we got? Jones, so we're going across the pond this week. This is in the – forgive me if I butcher this for you French speakers, but it is in the French city of Toulouse, I believe it's called. And the article is from buzz.ie.com. Baby given free entry into nightclub for life. 
after mother gives birth on dance floor. This is, I believe this was today, well, this is Monday morning, I'm sorry. A young woman got the fright of her life when she realized she was going to have to give birth to her baby in the middle of the dance floor. Jones, I don't even know why a pregnant mom that could even be able to give birth at the time was in a club, but that's just my first thoughts. The incident happened on Monday morning at 5.30 a.m. or was out at 5.30 in the morning. Morning at 5.30 a.m. in a nightclub in the French city of Toulouse. Local media have reported that it was a 19-year-old woman who gave birth from, who gave birth, and she had received a lot of help from the club staff. Speaking, I'll butcher this one, to La, to La De Peche, the manager of the nightclub said it was 5.30 a.m. The club was just closing. There wasn't a lot of people left in the place, and one of my members or staff came over to me and said it's urgent. I could see that the woman was about to give birth, but we had to act quickly. A member of staff called the emergency medical line who talked us through what we had to do. The young woman didn't seem too panicked, but she was worried. Then the baby came out. It's one of the most bizarre clothings we've had. My team worked together. We all cried. The positive thing to come out of all of this is that none of us panicked and we weren't scared. Anyway, we got it done. She went on to explain the reason the heavily pregnant woman was doing in the nightclub at 5 a.m. She said one of her, the young woman's friends, suggested coming to a club to the club to cheer her up because she was having some personal problems. She wasn't drinking. She was one of the last people to leave because she couldn't walk. Due to the happy occasion, the club have announced that the baby would have entry into the club for the rest of their life. Jones, you know, even, okay, let's say, even let's reduce some reversal roles here. Not, okay, obviously we can't get pregnant. Um, Big if true. If we both had a wife, and my wife's pregnant, she could be having the baby. And you called me and said, Tom, listen, hey, having some personal problems. The Chiefs just lost their 13th game in a row in Kansas has five years. And I'm having a lot of personal problems here. And I need you to go out to the club with me tonight. I would say, hey, Jones, listen, um, I'll run up maybe to the club with you for like an hour. It's that. And I would say, hey, my wife could be having the baby anytime, so I'm going to have to be home. Which is probably what would happen. I'd probably say, hey, Jones, we'll have to catch you. I'll have to catch you on the flip side. Jones, this lady, you know, if for whatever reason, this friend that she went out to the club with, because she was having some personal problems, that is a real friend. You got nine months having you pregnant to the club, and you're even still on the dance floor. Maybe she was just, like, sitting on the side, but maybe went to the dance floor because it was more open space to have a baby. But if you're that pregnant, I don't care if you're 19, I don't care if you're 37. There's no way that you should be out at 5.30 in the morning at a nightclub on what would have been a Sunday night into Monday morning. Even if you're drinking or not. Well, you shouldn't be drinking no. if you're pregnant either. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, but still, it's just like, what? And then to deliver the kid on the club room you know what happened you know there's a lot of stuff that happens in nightclubs in america i I, i've dj'd some i've seen a lot seen a lot i've maybe not at 5 30 because i haven't dj that long but i've been i mean i've been to the so i've seen 
more bar closings, not only because I like to have a good time, but also that I'm making money and I work, and that's my side hustle to see the lights come on at bars. But I've never seen someone give birth. I don't think I've ever seen someone nine months pregnant in a bar. Um, and I know they do different things across the pond, and I know they probably party a lot harder than here in America, but I think it's kind of universal that you don't go to the club nine months pregnant. I mean, this is Tom Fuller. I mean, I, she's a great friend, obviously. Uh, she might not make a great mother, but hell, she's a great friend. Uh, I'm not going to talk on her mother in her roles, because if she's 19, this could probably be her first child. Uh, but hey, kid gets free entry in the club for life, so in 18 years, or I don't know, it's probably 16 over in France, uh, you know, maybe the, the, I don't know how much it is to get in the club, but maybe, the, you know, kid saves money. Hopefully, hopefully the kid's all right. You know, like I said earlier, you don't know what goes on in those floors. I've slept, I've slipped and fell in a lot of different places, and I would not want to know what was on the floor uh, of those clubs, whether that be urine, feces, other bodily fluids, spit, blood, a lot of liquor drinks spilled on the floor, and then you're having a kid in the middle of all of it. Uh, man, Jones, I don't know. Uh, this is definitely one of the more different Tom Fuller stories that we've ever done. There was fire burning, fire burning on the dance floor. Fire burning, fire burning on the dance floor. Somebody yeah, called 911. A birth happened on the dance floor. Whoa. Uh, there you go. <laughs> now, if it came uh, out, it was Sean Kingston's baby. It has to be. It has to be Sean Kingston's kid. Um, this is very irresponsible. I mean, it is. Just don't matter how you it. Um, they just gonna have some story to tell one day. Uh, hey, where were you born? Um, you know that bar over there? Yeah, uh, my mom birthed me, uh, while she was dancing, uh, at a club nine months pregnant. Um, wow. The other thing, too, about this, Tom, is, like, it's not that... It wasn't that she was seven months, eight months pregnant, the baby came early or something like that. Nine months pregnant. You're well aware of your surroundings here. Um, you know, I, I wish her all the best, wish this kid all the best going forward, but, I mean, there's just no excuse. Uh, I mean, you're a good friend, but parent-wise, this is not great. So yeah, no. Um, I mean, I do wonder where the dad is, um, you know. But even if the dad's not even around whatsoever, I mean, even even if the parents aren't around, you, I mean, I know that the person's 19, but still, you have to have some common sense of some sort to say, hey, I could be having the baby any day now. I'm sorry that you're having personal problems, but I'm about to have a human life, maybe not problem on my end, but a responsibility so, gonna have to catch you on the flip side. Uh, I mean, I think that's something too. That's why it's Tom Fuller, Jones. There are people that go out every single day and make a story that we get to talk about once a week. And we are thankful for it. I just hope one day, Jones, it's not us that, uh, that ends up being Tom Fuller of some sorts. I'm sure there are things that I've done 
Um, that could have been considered Tom Ford, but they haven't made the news. Not yet. Not now. Hopefully there's, not ever. There's things that we've done together that could have been Tom Ford. Um, now, I can't say that either one of us have birthed the kid at a nightclub. Um, this is not done. Don't intend on doing. But, uh, I mean, this is, this is an all-timer. This is, this is as foolish as it gets, Tom. Um, I would not recommend this behavior. I would not advise... Uh, folks to go about this route uh, of doing so. But you mentioned, like, the dad in this case. Let's say you get a call. Hey, uh, my water broke. Where are you at? I'm at a nightclub. Uh, I don't think I'm going to make it. I think I'm going to have the kid here. I mean, the dad at that point, don't you almost say, no, forget it. We're, we're going to the hospital no matter what. I mean, that's what I would say is, uh, even if you feel like you can't make it, whatever. I mean, you are not having this kid in the nightclub. I mean, that whether the dad was you know, missing in action, or whether the dad was there at the bar, whatever it was. I mean, I, I, I could not picture myself in that situation of that would be the solution I would come up with. Yeah, there's no, there's really just no way um, that I would even think about attempting that. I mean, even if you're, you know, your wife had been out or even if you know there's no way that i would have even been out uh even if it was my wife that was the one who was pregnant in the space uh there's just there's no way uh and that is why this is tom fuller because i can't even imagine that being the case or even hearing about that i mean if that would have happened in in Oklahoma, that would have been top-tier news. Shay Rozzi would have been reporting on that left and right. Your, your girl, Shay? Uh, yeah, it probably would have been a rodeo nightclub, honestly. If I had to pick a nightclub in Tulsa, that, that would have happened at. But, and, you know, advise having, that. and you wouldn't advise having a kid at rodeo nightclub either, would you? No. Well, not really at any nightclub. Even the nicest of nightclubs, I wouldn't be like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Oh, man. On that note, uh, advice. don't have kids in nightclubs. And uh, with that, hopefully we have made you a little bit smarter here on the Jones Report today. Got to run. Big thanks to Oliver Ruiz from the NFL Network for joining us. And uh, give him a follow on all his social media platforms. He does a fantastic job covering the National Football League. And it was great to have him in Kansas City just a couple of weeks ago as well. Uh, subscribe to the show. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. Leave us a five-star review. Or don't leave us one at all. Uh, rate us, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. Twitter, at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at TJ Media Group. Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, uh, Jones underscore reports, Insta Thomas. You can find us there, follow us, and we would love to hear from you. For Thomas Bridges, I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week. The Jones Report. F*** yeah.